great day. Um, those are my favorite days or burger days. But um, also announcements, if you've never taken the Foundations of Faith class, we're going to be starting them again on uh, September 27th. And you can go to the calendar and on, on the app and you can click on the event and sign up directly from there. And so uh, if you haven't taken them before, if you're interested in serving in the church, it's one of the requirements is to take the classes. And they're going to be at a, at a different time than usual. So make sure you check out the calendar, check out the app, sign up if you're going to sign up for that. And those are the announcements we have for today. Why don't we uh, go ahead and pray. Lord, thank you so much for uh, this day and for the word that you have for us, God, and uh, for the love that you have for us, Lord, um, for the work that I know you want to do in us. And I pray that you would speak to our hearts, Lord. I pray that um, nothing in me or of me would interfere with, uh, with the work that you want to do. Lord, may you be glorified and exalted. May you soften and prepare our hearts, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Let's turn to 1 Chronicles 11. And um, 1 Chronicles 11, since I had the opportunity to pray about <clears throat> what I was going to share today, um, something, you know, happens where you just uh, start reading and praying and, you know, you're already reading and praying and through the scriptures and listening to teachings and sometimes the process is kind of like, Lord, there's so much there. What do you want to hone in on? Um, is it there a specific portion that you want to look at, Lord, or do you want to kind of have something that threads through all the scriptures? And I feel like the Lord sensed that the Lord had been threading all the scriptures together that I had been getting throughout the week. And uh, it might seem like these passages are all throughout the scripture. They're different uh, stories, different examples, different times, uh, events that were taking place in the Bible. But I do think that there's a connection. And I pray that the Holy Spirit uh, is able to make that connection. Um, and uh, I, I think of uh, when Pastor Bill would teach, you know, he has this way of talking about uh, how the rabbis would speak of the beads of God's word and truth. And then there's a thread that would connect connect them together, and uh, I'm not saying this is that, because I think only Pastor Bill can do that, but, <laughs> but I do think that there is, a, there is a, a theme of God's truth that's kind of connecting these passages of Scripture together, and I pray that the Lord kind of walks us through it. Um, so I wanted to start here in, the, in this passage of Scripture, and, and uh, we, we live in a, in a day and age in a society and a culture that kind of trains us and, and prepares us to be very independent, very isolated, um, very self-motivated. Uh, you know, we, do, we do it on our own. But within, within the body of Christ, I think it's important for us to understand that we do need Jesus and we do need one another. God has called us to be a part of a family. I, I, you know, the key word that I, the people use is like a community, which it is a community. But it's an even more intimate and deeper word than that, and it's a family. Um, that God has called us to be a part of. And so as we're here and we're looking at a passage of Scripture, I think there's something, or, or these passages of Scripture, I think there's a tendency in us to kind of forget these things and forget that these things, to apply, that these things apply to us as believers, that these truths apply to us as believers. So I, I wanted to start here um, for context in First Chronicles chapter 11. And starting in, we're going to start in verse 15, but from verse 10 it's uh, talking about David's mighty men. And uh, David's, uh, these guys that surrounded David, uh, they came to him when he was at his worst. He was hiding in caves. Uh, he was hiding from, uh, from Saul as he was trying to hunt him down. And, uh, and then these guys came to him. And when they first came to him, they were, the Bible says, distressed. You know, they were in debt. They were de depressed. They were dissatisfied with the world around them. And so these weren't, you know, what you'd think to be the cream of the crop. Uh, these weren't the people that, you know, were successful and doing well with their lives and they came to follow David. Um, they were the guys that were running from the law and that were, that were in debt. And, and they all surrounded themselves around David, who's here hiding in a cave. But as they spent time with him, as they saw David's love and his passion and his commitment and his bravery, it changed them. It made them better. 
They were challenged to seek the Lord more. They were challenged to take steps of faith more, to go and confront enemies, even when they themselves were at personal risk. And so by the time you get to 1 Chronicles 11, these are David's mighty men, you know? And and I, I like that. I pray that as we seek the Lord, as we surround ourselves with other believers, God would make of us mighty men and women of the Lord. But there's a specific example here that always, um, uh, always stirs my heart in verse 15 that there were three of the 30 chief men that went down to the rock to David in the cave of Adullam and the army of the Philistines encamped in the valley of Rephaim. And David was in the stronghold and the garrison of the Philistines was then in Bethlehem. And David said with longing, Oh, that someone would bring me a drink of water from the well of Bethlehem, which is by the gate. And just for context, David, uh, David's hometown, where he was born and where he was raised, is surrounded by the enemy. There's an enemy garrison that's blocking off uh, Bethlehem and its well. And as he's hiding here in the cave of Adullam, he's not speaking, he's not asking for them to do anything for him. He's just kind of... You know, sometimes you sigh and what you desire, what you want, it just comes out, you know? Oh, man, I wish I could take a nap. Oh, I wish I had one of those burgers from cafe, you know, or whatever. It just comes out, you know? And, and that's what happened to David. He's there and he's thinking, I wish I had water from the well of Bethlehem. I don't know what made the water special, but I can relate to this in one sense. And it's that for whatever weird reason, I've acquired a taste for specific kind of water. So that's me being vulnerable. There's a certain kind of water that I like that water more than I like other waters. And I know that's the weirdest thing in the world and water doesn't have any taste and I don't know what's wrong with me. But it is what it is. And, um, and so it's, it's my preferred water. And I'll drink other waters and I don't feel satisfied. But I drink a sip of this water and, uh, and I feel satisfied. Now, I'm weird, and now you don't want to listen to anything else I have to say. It's all you're going to remember. But I don't know if that's what's going on in David's heart. He's like, man, if I just had a sip of water from that well, there's no water like that water. Oh, man, that water's good. And his men are there, and they overhear him saying it. They don't go to David, but they go amongst themselves and say, you know what would be really cool? Why don't, why don't we go get him some of that water? But there's, a, there's an enemy garrison surrounding the city. There's a whole troop of people that hate us and our wanted posters are posted all around camp. And they say, but but we could do it, you know? David's done brave things. We can hide through. I saw David hide in a camp of Saul. He could go, we can go through the Philistines like nothing. They decide to get together in the middle of the night, these three guys. They cross through the camp. They go to the well. They draw some water. They cross through the camp again. And they come and they bring it to David. So three broke through the camp of the Philistines and they drew water from the well of Bethlehem that was by the gate and they took it. They brought it to David. Now this is interesting. Nevertheless, David, he would not drink it, but he poured it out to the Lord. Was he being ungrateful? These guys just risked their lives for him. It says, and he said, far be it from me, O God, that I should do this. Shall I drink the blood of these men who have put their lives in jeopardy? For, as, for at the risk of their lives they brought it. Therefore he would not drink it. These things were done by the three mighty men. And so the key there is he poured it out before the Lord. So there's something happening in David's heart at this particular moment in his life. These guys are so stirred by their love and loyalty and devotion to David having walked with David for as long as they did, that they want to show him that. So they lay their lives on the line, not to give him something he needs, just something that'll bless him, that'll make his day. And when David sees the sacrifice, when he sees the price that they paid, David says, I can't take that. I can't take that. You've given me something so valuable that only God is worthy of it. Only God is worthy of the sacrifice, of the devotion, of what you've done for me. Thank you, guys, I'm so grateful. But I value what you've done so much that only God is worthy of it. 
And there's some things that only God is worthy of. There's some sacrifices that only God is worthy of. And there's a lot of ways that you can apply that passage of Scripture. You know, sometimes there's always that kind of awkward uh, interchange that happens when you share or teach. Because God's word is amazing and it changes people's lives. And God is amazing and the Holy Spirit is amazing. And so it changes lives. And sometimes you're going through a passage of scripture and afterwards somebody comes up and says, oh man, thank you, that, that really ministered to me, that really changed my life. I don't know what to do with that. I, you know, I don't, I want to be like, well, thank you. You know, because I, I, I didn't do anything. I remember one time there was a pastor that shared on Nehemiah and he was walking down and, and, you know, knowing how awkward it is, you still want to kind of say, I was really blessed. And, uh, and so I'm walking through and I'm like, hey, that, that really ministered to me. And it really did. I needed to hear it. And it, it kind of, it, it was at a pastor's conference and it, it made the difference. Like, that, like, this is the reason why I came here is to hear what you just taught. I didn't tell him that. I just said, thanks. That was a real blessing. And he didn't skip a beat. He's walking past me. And he goes, thank God, Nehemiah lived it. And I, it's like, you know, such a great way of being like, you want to come and say thank you. I understand. It changed your life. That's great. It was all the Lord. The Lord did everything. And it was just a matter of just kind of, hey, this is what the Bible says. And, and, and it changes your life, right? So here, David, you know, we can kind of draw from that sometimes. Maybe we're too willing to accept worship from other people or the glory or the gratitude from other people. Um, but David says, listen, that, that's great, but he redirects them to the Lord. He says, that, that was the Lord did that. You should thank him, you know. When people would bow before angels, the angels would say, like, get up, get up, don't do that. <laughs> don't worship me. You know, you've got to only worship God. Only he's worthy of worship. Only he's worthy of certain sacrifices. And a sacrifice is the destruction or surrender or loss made or incurred for gaining some object or for doing a favor to another. So it's when you take a sacrifice, it's when you give something to be destroyed or surrendered or lost so that you'll either get something else or so that you'll do somebody a favor. And, and again, the, the thought of this passage, what was on my heart is that there's some sacrifices that only God is worthy of, that, that we, we don't deserve to take for ourselves. We can't afford to be selfish in those things. Only God can have that. And that's great. He's worthy of it. Let's go to 2 Samuel 24. You're going towards Genesis. <clears throat> There's another passage of scripture here um, in 2 Samuel 24. And the context of the passage is that there is a plague that's going through the land of Israel. And um, just like there's a plague going through our land. There's a plague going through the land of Israel. And in the context, the Lord shows David that this is at least in part consequences for his actions. And then the angel of the Lord's kind of going through the land and he stops over the threshing floor of Arowana the Jebusite. And I, I don't know how focused this guy was, but it looks, I don't know if he could see the angel. Maybe only David and the prophet Gad can see it or maybe only God can see it. I don't know, it's described here. But it seems like Arowana just keeps on threshing wheat. <laughs> and so as he's there, um, a prophet comes to David and says, in verse 18, God came that day to David and said to him, Go up and erect an altar to the Lord at the threshing floor of Arowana the Jebusite. Verse 19, So David, according to the word of, the Lord, of God, went up to, as the Lord commanded. Now Arowana looked and saw the king and his servants coming towards him. So Arowana went out and bowed before the king with his face to the ground. And Arowana said, why has my lord the king come to his servant? And David said, to buy the threshing floor from you and to build an altar to the Lord that the plague may be withdrawn from Israel, from the people. Now Arowana said to David, let my lord take, let my lord the king take and offer up whatever seems good to him. Look, here are the oxen for burnt sacrifice and the threshing implements and the yokes of oxen for wood. All these, O king, Arowana has given to the king. And, and so he's one of those guys that speaks in the third person. Arowana gives you everything. Um, and uh, Arowana said to the king, may the Lord your God, Arowana said, may the Lord your God accept you. This is a good cause. You want to take it, take all of it. The king said to Arowana, no, 
but I will surely buy it from you for a price. Now, how often do you see somebody offer something free and you respond with saying, no, 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 I'm going to buy that. You know, why is he doing that? Nor will I offer burnt offerings to the Lord my God with that which costs me nothing. So David brought the threshing, bought the threshing floor and the oxen for 50 shekels of silver. David built there an altar to the Lord and offered a burnt offering and a peace offerings. And the Lord heeded the prayers for the land and the plague was withdrawn from Israel. And may the plague be withdrawn from our land as well. But you look here at David and his, and his sacrifice before the Lord. He's going there to worship. He's going there to sacrifice to God. And the guy says, I'll just give it to you. I'll give it all to you. You won't even have to spend a penny. How could I charge you for this good thing that you're doing? You know, and this is quite a considerable donation. You know, how much does your threshing floor cost? No, I don't know, but, you know, I, I'd, I'd imagine it's, it's very expensive. I know having an oxen is very expensive. I think a while ago I heard somebody saying that, you know, a bull, an oxen, there's people here that know better, so I better not throw out prices. But imagine, imagine a small car. You know, he, he's given him all his, all his oxen, all his bulls, and, and, and the wood, and the threshing floor. He's making it easy for him. And David says, no, I'm going to pay you for it. Because I'm not going to offer to God a burnt offering that doesn't cost me something. And, and that kind of has resonated in my heart since last Sunday. Because... How often do I come and offer to the Lord something that which costs me nothing? You know, it doesn't really cost me anything to come to church. It doesn't cost me anything to come to church on time or to sing a song. It doesn't cost me anything. And so what can I give to the Lord that would cost me something? And let me stop at this point to say, I'm not asking for money. We don't need money. By God's mercy, God has provided and paid for all of our bills that's not the point. I don't want that to kind of sidetrack the truth that I pray that the Lord speak into our hearts. But I do think that it's important to, for us to think in our relationship with the Lord, am I offering up to the Lord something that costs me something? And that is possible. The Lord can stir your heart to, to minister to someone else's need in such a way that it costs you something. But you're doing it as an act to the Lord. The Lord can stir your heart to give time that's valuable. I mean, you're not going to get that time back to serve the Lord or to seek the Lord. Saying, Lord, how am I going to spend an extra hour with you? That's going to cost me so much. That's the, that's the point. I'm going to wake up earlier. Is that going to cost me sleep for you, Lord? that I would think in my, in my reactions or my response of worship that I would give God something that it costs me something to give. Not out of guilt, not because I've been shamed into it, but because I love the Lord and because I'm grateful to the Lord for what he's done for me and in my life. And here David at this point in his life, he's saying, I'm trying to show God that I'm committing my life to him how am I going to do that and not have it cost me something? You want to just do this so that it's for free. Hey, but I, I hope you know that there are many things in your life that you can do that will cost you something that you can offer up to give to the Lord. Sometimes forgiving somebody that doesn't deserve it because of the Lord. That's a sacrifice. That's going to cost you something. That costs a lot. That's really hard. You know, or sometimes it can be financial. Maybe that's where it hurts the most. Man, oh man, I got to give this person 20 bucks or, you know, or take them out to dinner or something. Or spending time. Or, you know, I'm going to wake up earlier and spend time with the Lord. Or spend time in prayer. I'm going to come and serve the Lord. You know, or I'm going to serve the Lord at home. It's going to cost me something. But I'm doing it for the Lord's sake. I'm going through suffering, injustice that I don't deserve. And I have the right to respond to this in a certain way. But instead... For the Lord's sake, I'm going to respond to this in a better way, in a Christ-like way. And it's going to cost me something. But I'm doing it because of the Lord. Because I love him. Now, I, and, and what can you give to the Lord? You know? And so here David says, I'm going to worship the Lord. Of course I'm going to make, I, I'm going to make sure it costs me something to worship the Lord. 
in Malachi chapter 1, we can go there. And the second point that I had there for, for these two passages of Scripture, for the first one, there's the first passage of Scripture, what I wanted to communicate is that there are some things that God, only God is worthy of, some sacrifices that only God is worthy of. And for these two passages of Scripture, there are some things that are not good enough to give to the Lord. <laughs> I'm not going to give him something that doesn't cost me anything. That's not good enough. <laughs> you know, what, what kind of a gift is that? It doesn't cost me. Like, I'm going to give a big act of worship, and I'm just going to give him my leftovers or, or you know, something that doesn't cost me anything. Malachi chapter 1, verse 6, he says, A son honors his father. And that's right, they should. A servant honors his master. If then I am the father, then where is my honor? If I am a master, where is my reverence, says the Lord of hosts, to you priests who despise my name? Yet you say, in what way have we despised your name? Well, you offer defiled food on my altar, but say, in what way have we defiled you? By saying that the table of the Lord is contemptible. The, the priests had the privilege of eating, of being fed off of the offerings that the people would bring. And then they were complaining about it. Oh, man, i got to eat this food again, you know. And the service of the table of the Lord, where they would prepare the tables for the Lord. And, and, and all this work, and they're like, oh, i got to go serve the Lord. Oh, my goodness, you know, eye roll, eye roll. The Lord sees that. And the Lord says, well, that's not worship that's worthy of me. That's not service that's worthy of me, you know. And when you offer the blind as a sacrifice, is it not evil? And when you offer the lame or the sick, is it not evil? And so here's what would happen. In those days, they would bring a sacrifice. They'd bring a sheep or an oxen or, you know, even doves if you were not able to afford the other two. And so you'd picture you're in those days, you're going to go worship the Lord, and you go out to your herd, and you look at all the sheep, and you're like, wow, I'm not going to give my best oxen. I need that guy, you know. And I can't eat, give my best sheep. You know, I'm going to use that one to get better sheep. So how about this runt back there, the one that, you know, the one that's blind and walks with a, lame, a limp, you know, that, one, that one's not good for anything. I'm, I'll give that one to the Lord because it's not going to cost me anything to give it to the Lord. I'm just going to give it to the Lord. It's kind of the leftovers. And, and sometimes in us there could be this, this belief that our relationship with the Lord should be such that when it's doing well, it shouldn't cost us anything. We should be comfortable. Things should be going great for us. I'll serve the Lord as long as I don't have to wake up early or I don't have to, you know, deal with this person. You know, oh, man, serving the Lord means dealing with that person? No, thank you, you know. And so, you know, we can have this relationship with God or within ourselves where we start thinking that that's okay to just kind of give him your leftovers, to have it not cost you anything. Well, the Lord says that's not even a good enough gift for humans. Like, give that to your governor and see if he's happy, you know. Offer it then to your governor. Would he be pleased with you? Would he accept you favorably, says the Lord? And his point being, am I not more glorious than people? Am I not greater than people? Am I not more worthy of, 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 of giving me something that's of worth? It's not because God needs the gift. Now here's the Lord kind of receiving this gift. And it's like, that's your, your you know... You, you, you got, you've got that thing and you're, you're about to throw it away and you're like, ah, maybe I'll just give this to the Lord instead. I mean, I hate throwing stuff out. It's, like, it's not worth anything to you. It's like, you know what I mean? It's not like the Lord's so desperate that he'll take the garbage or the leftovers, you know? The Lord is worthy of our best. And the Lord here standing, you know, in heaven just being like, I have all the sheep in the world. If I wanted to sacrifice sheep, I would just like sacrifice all the sheep. It's not that I'm desperate for sheep. It's supposed to be a demonstration of what's in your heart. And if that is a demonstration of what's in your heart, I don't like it. <laughs> you know? And, 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 in, and indeed, it, it, it is a demonstration of what's in our heart. If we only offer up to the Lord that which is comfortable, that which is convenient, that which doesn't cost us a thing. And so, 
He says, but now entreat God's favor that he may be gracious to us. While this is being done by your hands, will he accept you favorably, says the Lord of hosts? Who is there even among you who would shut the doors so that you would not kindle a, a fire on my altar in vain? It's, in, it's intense, but just the heart of the Lord just being like, if you're just going to give God your leftovers that doesn't cost you anything, I'd rather you just shut the doors. Because all that God cares about and wants is your heart. It's your heart of love. It's for you to love the Lord with all your heart. And you know what that's like. We can have relationships with people or with businesses or whatever where we just give our bare minimum to maintain the doors open. We, we don't give it our all. We just give the bare minimum, you know? And, and, and here you have like, you know, hey, man, I know this person and I have this friend, but I don't want to give him my heart or my all. I just, I'll, I'll give him, you know, I'll shoot a text every once in a while and that'll just keep the door open. But time, oh man, I, my time, I, I don't want to give, you know. Or you think of service to the Lord. You think of these opportunities that we have to give to the Lord. Are we just trying to keep the door open? Are we like C.S. Lewis would say, reluctant taxpayers? We want to just give the bare minimum that we can to keep ourselves out of jail, you know. And so that we should not have that kind of relationship with God. Because he desires our love, our devotion. We would give him our all, our love, our devotion. And then God would say, if you're just going through the motions and it's just like a routine, he says, I'd rather you not come because this is only about relationship. I love you, you know? I, I, I don't know, I, I have, sometimes you're sitting down with somebody that you love and care about and they're just kind of barely listening and you're like, well, I'll come back later when you're listening, you know? I'll come back later when you're paying attention or whatever. It's not, it's not, it's just I'm, I'm, trying to, I'm trying to have a relationship with you, you know? And so the Lord says the same thing. He says, I have no pleasure in you, says the Lord of hosts. I will not, nor will I accept an offering from your hands. For from the rising of the sun, even to its going down, my name shall be great among the Gentiles. In every place, incense shall be offered to my name and a pure offering for my name shall be great among the nations, says the Lord of hosts. The Lord says, I am glorious. I'm a glorious, high, and holy God. And he's speaking to his chosen people, the, the people of Israel. And he's saying to them, to the Jews, he's saying to them, I will be worshipped by the Gentiles if you're going to worship me that way. If you're going to have kind of this distance in your relationship with me, you're going to be back here and you're not going to evaluate or be grateful for what you have. I'll go get the ones that are outside and I'll bring them in and they will worship me like you don't. That's intense. He says, because I'm worthy of it. From the rising of the sun to the going down, I will be worshiped. It's intended to stir in the heart of God's people. It's to be like, no, wait, no, 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 don't choose them. Wait, I, I, want, I, want, I want in on that. Can I have some of that? Please, I'm sorry, I, I've taken you for granted. And so the Lord well, desires for us to not have this attitude. You know, we, we recently had Pastor Rich Chafin here, and he talked about the widow with the two mites who didn't have anything, but she gave what she had, you know? And, and, and again, I'm not talking about, like, giving your money because that widow gave what she had cheerfully. If you can't give it cheerfully, don't give it. If the Lord's putting it on your heart and you want to give cheerfully, that's between you and Jesus. But that's not what I'm trying to get at. It's a, it's a matter of the heart, right? So here she gave all that she had, and Jesus is like, man, that widow gave more than any, anyone else. And that should be an encouragement because a lot of you, and I, I should also say this, you guys are the best flock in the world, right? Very, very blessed. I'm not mentioning this because there's a specific issue to address here, but rather because the Lord had kind of put it on my heart to mention it. Maybe it's the Lord dealing with me and you guys have to suffer through it. But if you have been serving the Lord, been giving to the Lord, and you've been giving so much, and it has cost you something, and maybe no one else around you knows it, it should be an encouragement to sit back and say, the Lord knows it. The Lord sees it. The Lord takes note of it. And the Lord is so grateful. 
It's a mind-boggling thing to think that maybe the Lord's kind of bragging about you behind your back. Did you see what so-and-so just gave? Oh, man, they woke up early and they went to go serve me. Oh, man, they, they took that person out and they didn't have much money left in their bank account, but they did it for Jesus. They did it for me. That's amazing. You know? Did you see how much time they gave? They sat and listened to that person for so long for Jesus' sake. You know? And the Lord sees it. The Lord acknowledges it. The Lord recognizes it. Let's go to uh, Luke 17. And when we talk about this idea of sacrifice, it's important for us also to recognize that there's no amount of sacrifice that I can give that then makes me entitled. That idea of us feeling entitled is not of the Lord. And, and so for context in this passage of scripture in Luke chapter 17, Jesus is coming out from uh, hanging out in a Pharisee's house. And watch out, man. You invite Jesus over for dinner and it's going to be amazing. Um, the Pharisees would sometimes try to trap him. They would, bring, uh, they would bring the sick, the lame. They'd invite him over on a Sabbath. Let's see if this guy breaks this Sabbath. Because Jesus had this habit that when he'd go into a room, I mean, frequently ministering to crowds much larger than these, that he would look around and he'd see the most needy person. Oh, that person over there, they're, they're sick. This person over there just lost a loved one. That person over there is hurting. And he would ignore everyone else. And he would just go to that person and minister to them. Or he'd call them up. Hey, you, you in the back, come here. I know you're embarrassed. You're in shame. But come here, I want to I help you. Or somebody that was lame or somebody that was crippled, somebody who was blind, somebody that couldn't hear. You know, he's walking with multitudes of people and a blind person's yelling, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. They're telling him, shut up, man. He's busy. Get Get out of the way. And, and, and he says, hey, everybody stop. How many thousands of people are following him? Everybody stop. Who's yelling? Is there anybody yelling? You know, get, that, get that guy over here. I want to talk to him. Hey, good. Get up. Go talk to him. Jesus would talk to the weakest and to the lame, and he'd minister to them, and then he'd go to the next, and then he'd go to the next, and then he'd go to the next. So Jesus had this great love that he had for people. And in the house of Pharisees, these things would all be tested. They would try to trap him with his love and his grace, his compassion. And guess what? He still showed people love. But he's walking out of these uh, Pharisees' house. He turns to his disciples. And he says, it's impossible that no offenses should come. But woe to him through whom they come. It would be better for him to have a millstone hung around his neck and that he would throw into the sea that he should offend one of these little ones, one of God's little ones, right? We're all God's. If you've accepted Christ as your Savior, I've got to put a qualifier out there. You're one of God's little ones. He goes, so, you know, we should be careful to not throw around offense like it's nothing. I'm not saying that you shouldn't speak the truth. You should speak the truth, but you should speak the truth in love. Because I want to be careful that I don't offend you with my flesh. I could give you the truth in a fleshly way. It doesn't please the Lord. Jesus says, I would rather you... It's funny. He doesn't say, if you offend one of these little ones, that a millstone will be hung around your neck and you'll be thrown into the sea. He says, it would be better for you <laughs> then what will happen to you if you kind of ca casually go around offending one of my people? Be careful. You know, you're going to be a, a cause for stumbling. That's a big deal. So we, we should be careful what comes out of our mouth, what doesn't come out of our mouth. But take heed to yourself. If your brother sins against you, rebuke him. And if he repents, forgive him. And if he sins against you seven times in a day and seven times in a day returns to you saying, I repent, you shall forgive him. So it's like, man, you know, you, that person offended you. It's funny because I read through that, and those are all hard things to do. They're all hard. You know, if somebody sins against you or offends you, rebuke them. That's hard. You know, we want to do everything but. We want to gather a crowd around him. We want to, you know, get a whole army on our side, and then we want to go at it and crush, you know. We want to do anything we can, but, but going and speaking to that person that offended you, and saying, hey, you offended me. And what you did was wrong and you should repent. That's hard. And then the other part's hard. If he says, you know what, you're right, I'm sorry. Forgive them. That's hard. You know? They don't deserve forgiveness. I want to make them pay. You know, that's not your job. That's the Lord's. And so he says, man, if he forgives, if he repents, and then he does it again and repents. And then he does it again and he repents. All in the same day, seven times. 
forgive them and forgive them and forgive them and forgive them. Man, that's hard. That's the standard in what's expected in the body of Christ. You know, that we would have be, and that's a great thing, man. That's the kind of crowd I want to hang out with, people that are willing to forgive me. If I offend them seven times in one day and I'm wrong and I repent, that's a great, a great place to be, a great people to be around. I'm very grateful for the body of Christ. But he tells his disciples, like, if they repented seven times, forgive them seven times, and it's not about the number seven, it's about completion, right? If they've completely offended you, then you and they, complete, they repent, and still keep forgiving. If you want to be forgiven, forgive. And then they say, here's their response. The apostle said to him, increase our faith. <laughs> it's like, all right, you want me to forgive seven times in one day. I'm going to need a lot more faith than what I got. I can't do that, you know. Even the rabbis would say forgive like you can forgive three times and then you can crush them. Um, but, but Jesus says, no, just keep forgiving, keep forgiving. And they say, increase our faith. Look at Jesus' response in verse 6. If you, have seed as, if you have faith as a mustard seed, you can say to this mulberry tree, be pulled up by the roots and be planted in the sea and it would obey you. And so his answer, they're, they're like, I don't have what I need to forgive that person. Give that to me, Jesus says. You don't need me to give you anything. You need to obey. <laughs> you have what you need. You just need to exercise it. You know, you have what you need. Just exercise what you've got and obey in forgiving that person. The feelings will follow. But you just need to obey. And so then in verse 7, then he transitions into this, which is where I wanted to go. And which of you having a servant plowing or tending sheep will say to him when he has come in from the field, come at once and sit down and eat? But will he not rather say to him, prepare something for my supper and gird yourself and serve me until you have eaten and drunk? I have eaten and drunk, and afterwards you will eat and drink. Does he thank the servant because he did the things that were commanded him? I think not. So we get kind of stuck on this because it, it is nice to thank people and to be grateful, to show them gratitude, and it doesn't really go well with our culture. Nowadays, you want, you know, gratitude. You want, oh, good job. You did a great, thank you. Here, let me serve you. But what Jesus is saying, we, we lose what Jesus is saying because he's trying to communicate a very specific thought, and he's using an example. So Jesus is saying, just because that servant whose responsibility and duty it is to work hard for you has worked hard for you doesn't mean that you now owe that servant a gratitude and a thank you and a meal and a, you're going to now serve them. You know, you don't owe that servant. That's their job. That's what they're there for. And that's just not how you treat your servants. Is that how you treat your servants? Jesus says, I don't think so. You know, <laughs> I don't think that's how you treat your servants. But when they come in from a hard day's work, you then ask them to feed you and to clean the house and to prepare because that's what you're paying them for, right? If you are an employer and you're employing people, and we live in a culture where now, you know, you work hard and you expect your employer to thank you and to pat you on the back in addition to the wage that you're making and you want them to serve you. And Jesus is like, well, I mean, they're pay you're working for pay. You're being paid. All that other stuff is great when you get it, but that's not how you treat your employees. You know, you, you expect them to finish their work. That's what you're paying them for. And then if they do what's expected of them, what you're paying them to do, do you then owe them a thank you? No, you can give them a thank you if you want. That's a, that's a, nice, that's a nice boss. But you don't owe them a thank you. That's what they signed up for. And now that's the point that Jesus is now expecting us to transition into our relationship with him, where he says, so likewise, when you have done all those things which you, have, which you are commanded, say... We are unprofitable servants. We have done what was our duty to do. And in context, he's talking about forgiveness because forgiveness is really hard. And if you've been forgiving somebody and forgiving somebody and forgiving somebody because they've been offending you, at some point you're going to feel entitled to not forgive that person anymore. <laughs> like, I don't have to forgive you. It's been like six times. You know, I got one more time. It's the seventh time and I'm done. And, and Jesus is saying, don't have that attitude, Right? But it, it translates over into our service and in our sacrifice and offering to the Lord to think that as, as a servant of God, I should never have an attitude of entitlement. To be entitled is the fact of having a right to something. It's the belief that one is inherently deserving of privileges or special treatment. 
And as a believer, as a Christian, I am not deserving of privileges or special treatment. By God's grace and mercy, he's given me so many privileges and special treatment. But I don't deserve any of them. And I definitely don't earn more privileges and special treatment by being obedient to the simple, basic commands of Scripture. Does that, does that make sense? Where I'm thinking along the lines of saying, well, you know, I had a really hard day. I had a long day. I've been serving Jesus. You know, I've been a good example at work, you know. It's been eight hours. i got to come home, and now it's me time. Now it's time for me to get my, my comeuppance, you know. I'm going to sit down and get whatever you serve me, and I'm going to be angry if you don't. No, you're a Christian. All that that you did today was what you're supposed to be doing every day. <laughs> That's your job. And then it carries over into when you get home and how you treat your family and how you treat your kids and how you treat your dog and how you take care of your house. And, you know, all those things are a part of our rightful service of the Lord. You should offer up to the Lord. It's your bare minimum is to give him your all. And it pertains to, you know, oh, wow, I, I served all day at church. I'm going to go home and, you know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to serve me. Oh, man. You go home and you serve others. And you give others Jesus. And, and, and hopefully they give, they, give other, they give you Jesus too. But even if they don't give you Jesus, that doesn't entitle you then to say, well, then I'm checking out. You know, I'm done. I'm done. I'm going to pause the Christian thing. I'll pick it up later when I've had time to recharge. You know, no, Jesus says when you're done with, with giving your all, with a hard day's work, with a, an offering, a sacrifice that's cost you something, to then not have an attitude of entitlement, but to say, you know what, I only did what I, what I'm, I, I've only done what I've been commanded to do. Because the demands upon us as believers are oftentimes higher than we think they are. That kind of attitude of entitlement is a tendency to revert back to thinking that I can earn, I can earn a better standing with the Lord. You know, I, I just got to be a Christian when I'm out of my house. When I'm home, I don't. I, you know, no, you you don't earn. You, that's not what you signed up for. You surrendered your whole life to the Lord, and you can't earn anything in your relationship with the Lord because if you want to live your life like that, that's an impossible standard. You know, here, here's, here's what that would look like, is you live a perfect life without ma ever making one mistake, and then you can earn on top of that. How do you do that? You can't, you can't do that. The whole reason why these laws were given to us in Scripture were to show us that we can't do that. How impossible it is for us to live a life good enough to earn a relationship with the Lord. No. He says your relationship with the Lord is going to be based upon the grace of God. It's going to be based upon what he did. But we should never be in a position where we forget the demands of Scripture and of God upon our hearts and then start thinking, well, I, I, I was pretty good today, you know? I was pretty good today. I think I'm going to, I'm going to take, take a break. <laughs> I'm going to feed my flesh or I'm going to give myself a little, a little, you know, a little here, a little there to, to feed my flesh. That's not, that's not, we're called to feed our spirit, put to death our flesh, you know? And so... I'm grateful to the Lord that he speaks on these terms, you know. I, I, it's maybe like a little personal pet peeve, and, and I try to avoid it as much as possible. I don't always avoid it as well as I'd like to. And I think I picked up this pet peeve from someone else I know. But you know how sometimes people are like, and I, I hope I don't get anybody in trouble. And I'm not, I'm not upset with anybody. You guys are all the best. I, I've actually done this before, and I try to stop myself. When somebody's like, hey, what are you doing next Tuesday at 7 p.m.? Oh, ah, uh, oh going to ask me to do <laughs> yeah, yeah now you're weighing out uh, how available am i i mean are they going to the hospital yeah i'll take you are they you know <laughs> and then you're like oh, i'm free and I'm like all right i need your help to move be at my house at, oh, i was like ah oh. you know you know and, and that's kind of like a, a, a soft kind of sell you know here jesus doesn't come into our life he never does that by the way he never comes in and he's like um, hey, you know, come to Jesus. Life is going to be awesome. It's not going to cost you anything. It's going to be great. You know, you're going to have everything you want. You come in. It's like, actually, you're not going to have everything you want. There's some things you're not going to have, and it, there's some things you can't do. Um, but it's really, for the most part, it's not. And then you get a little further, your walk with God. Actually, no, you're, there's, you have to deny yourself. And, uh, you know, you're, it's actually going to be really hard, and there's going to be a lot of suffering you're going to go through. You know, and then as you're in it, you're like, oh, man, I've invested so much. Now you tell me what this is going to cost? Now, Jesus doesn't do that. Jesus says from the outset, he says, this is going to cost you everything. 
So think about it. So let's go to uh, Luke chapter 14. And as you're heading to Luke 14, I'm going to read a different passage that has to do with this passage. Uh, Jesus said to them, if anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself, let him take up his cross daily and follow me. For whoever desires to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. For what profit is it to a man if he gains the whole world and he himself is destroyed or lost? For whoever is ashamed of me and my words, of him the Son of Man will be ashamed when he comes in his own glory and in his Father's and of the holy angels. And here in Luke 14, verse 25, there's huge multitudes of people following Jesus. It's not one great multitude, it's great multitudes. There's lots of people coming. And he turns to them and he says, If anyone comes to me and doesn't hate his father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, and his own life also, he can't be my disciple. That's a high standard. Where he's saying this is going to cost you everything. And he's not literally saying that you have to hate your family. But what he is saying is that the priority and the demands and the call upon you of God and of Jesus and being a Christian must be above the demands and expectations of your family over your life. The love that you have for Jesus must be so far above the love that you have for your family that it's like hate. And, and so that plays out in this way. When the expectation or the demands of your family upon you are different than what Jesus expects and calls of you, then you're going to be a servant of Christ. You're going to do what the Lord calls of you. And that should never cost you love towards your family. In the sense that if you love Jesus the way you're supposed to love Jesus, you're going to find that you love your family more and more. You know? But here you have, because sometimes the expectation and the demands of family upon you, what family wants to make you into is different than what Jesus wants to make you into. And they expect this, they expect you to be this and to become this. Sometimes, not always. Family loves you, you know? But sometimes they want you to be this and become this. And then Jesus says, well, I want you to be this and become that. And when there's a conflict there, you should always go with Jesus. Do what Jesus says. Love Jesus. Prioritize Jesus in your heart and your life. Let him make you into who he's trying to make you into. And so he says, And whoever does not bear his cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. For which of you intending to build a tower does not first sit down and count the cost? whether he has enough to finish it. Lest after he's laid the foundation and is not able to finish, all who see it begin to mock him, saying, this man began to build it, and he is not able to finish it. That's embarrassing. I, I haven't built any towers, but, you know, I tinker around with woodworking, and sometimes when I have a project in my head, it takes me like months to kind of sit down because I'm not good at it. But I'm, I'm, I'm thinking, do I have enough wood to do that? Do I have enough? I'm measuring it in my head. I'm writing it down. I'm counting how many screws I have. And I, I like to have everything ready when I start. Because if I set aside, you know, four to eight hours to make something, and I sit down to make it, and I don't have enough materials to finish, that's terrible. Then you got like half a stool sitting in your garage for six months until you have time to finish it, which I do. And, 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 and then every time somebody sees it, they're going to be like, look at this guy. He thinks he's, he called himself a woodworker once and he's got a half a stool in there and he can't even finish it, you know? Or you think of like, uh, you know, somebody building, I, I, my commute used to involve driving by almost like a mansion, but it was gutted and it was never finished. It was constructed and never finished. And every time I drive by, I'd be like, look at this guy. He started this house and it's been there for three years and he's never finished it. Wonder who that guy is, you know? As a believer, as a Christian, there should never be in the body of Christ people who start in their commitment, their lifelong commitment to the Lord, and then, and then leave because it becomes a little too hard. Because Jesus said from the outset, it's going to cost you everything. It's going to cost you your wall. Because as much as people in the world give you a hard time coming into the body of Christ, once you're there and you've made that commitment and decision, listen, I'm a Christian, they might give you a hard time to your face. There's a measure of respect. They're saying, oh, they made a decision. Let's see how this plays out. They expect you to follow through with it. And if you don't follow through with it, then whatever respect they had for you for making a personal conviction goes out the window. And then behind your back, just like all mocking takes place behind your back, <laughs> behind your back, they're like, well, that guy, hey, wasn't he a Christian? Weren't you, weren't, you a, weren't you a Christian back in the 70s, you know? 
you know, what was it, a little too hard? Was it waking up early on Sundays? You like your Sunday mornings, and you're like, oh, you know. It takes away from your reputation, but it also takes away from the Lord's reputation because then people walk around saying, well, like, I guess Jesus can't hold his disciples. I guess he's not worthy of commitment. You know, I guess it's a little harder than people, than people know. Jesus is very clear. It's a matter of that person, when they came into their walk with the Lord, did not count the cost. Now, he's worthy of it. The Lord is worthy of it, but he's also clear. And I'm so grateful to him for that because I can make the decision up front. And so he says, or what king going to war, to make war against another king, doesn't first sit down and consider whether he's able with 10,000 to meet him who comes against him with 20,000, or else while the other is still a great way off, he sends a delegation and asks conditions of peace. So likewise, whoever of you who does not forsake all that he has cannot be my disciple. So your, your commitment to the Lord should always be higher than your commitment and desire for anything else. That being said, for some of us, we commit our lives to the Lord, and he might say, keep this, keep that. You can maintain your life in this way. But for others of us, he might say different. But our heart, in our heart, it has to be a settled issue that he is the, now the, the owner of all that I am and have now and until the day I die. So kind of looking at this and trying to put out here the, the idea of the fact that sacrifice should be a part of our worship. It should be a part of our relationship with the Lord. We should be giving up to the Lord that which costs us something. What can we give the Lord? You're not going to give him something that he doesn't already have. He has everything. He owns the cattle on a thousand hills. But a couple of things that came to mind, one of them that came to mind was a sacrifice of praise. In Hebrews 13, verse 15, there's seasons of our life where to praise the Lord and to thank the Lord might cost us something. where what comes naturally to you in that season might be to complain or to become bitter, to become resentful. In Hebrews 13, verse 15, it says, Therefore, by him, let us continually offer the sacrifice of praise to God, that is, the fruit of our lips, giving thanks to his name. So this idea of thanking the Lord and worshiping the Lord, even when it costs us something to do so, I, 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 in, in looking at this passage, I wasn't initially thinking about like the stuff that's taking place in California and in other parts of the country where it's been mandated that you not sing in church. But now that that's happened, it's costing them something to praise. It's a sacrifice of praise, you know? But I was thinking more along the lines of in, in our hearts, sometimes we might not feel like praising the Lord. We might not feel like worshiping the Lord. We might not feel like giving him thanks and it might cost us something to do so because for whatever reason, the season of life that we're going through or maybe the, the, the season of life of what we're dealing with emotionally, we might just be depressed or we might just be, man, I don't, what am I gonna thank the Lord for? I mean, just, all this stuff happening to me and, and this, the legitimate difficulty and hardship I'm going through. Well, that's a sacrifice that's gonna cost you something. Well, that's something worth giving. That's great. The Lord will value that. Man, Chris worshiped me even when he, it cost him something to worship. Chris said, thank you. Thank you. Even when it cost him something to say thank you. Even when he looked at the other aspects of his life and thought, man, this is terrible. I don't like this. I don't like that. He stopped that and he said, I want to thank you for what I do have. I want to thank you for what I am not going through. <laughs> you know? And that's a sacrifice of praise. That's a good thing. I also thought of, you know, that passage that we were at in Luke chapter 17. I'm not going to go there again, but Luke 17, 1 through 4, where Jesus says to forgive. And, and that could be a sacrifice that you offer up to the Lord. It costs us something to forgive people. It costs us something. You know, they don't deserve my forgiveness. That's going to be really painful. Then you can give that to God as an offering. I'm going to forgive them, not because they deserve it or because I want to, 
but because of the Lord and what he's done for me. If you think of that passage in Luke chapter 17, when he says, woe is me for I'm an unprofitable servant, for I've only done that which was my duty to do. That word duty is the same word as debt. And so you think, they're saying, I've only done what it was my debt to pay back to the Lord. He's forgiven me of so much. How can I not then forgive someone else? I, I, I owe him my everything. It's going to cost me something to forgive, and it's painful, and it's difficult. But I'm going to do this for you, Jesus. And every time it comes back, I'm going to surrender it back to the Lord. I'm going to surrender it back to the Lord. And maybe it helps to have the focus off of this person doesn't deserve it and to have the focus shifted to this is a gift to you, God. A gift to you, I'm doing it. The Bible says forgive if you want to be forgiven. So that could be a sacrifice of forgiveness, a sacrifice of obedience. I think it's hard sometimes to obey. It will cost you something to obey. But Jesus said, if you love me, keep my commandments. You want to show me that you love me? Obey what my commandments are. And that could be an offering, a sacrifice unto the Lord. In Hebrews chapter 11, verse 6, it says that if you have faith in him, it pleases him. You can't please him without faith. And sometimes faith is a sacrifice that you can give to the Lord. Your circumstances are such where you don't see a way out. You don't see how this is going to work. You don't see any hope. But I'm going to choose to put my trust in the Lord. That's a sacrifice. And it's a valuable thing in the eyes of the Lord. Where he says, oh man, they trusted me. When Jesus saw the centurion, said to him, my servant is sick, but you don't have to go over there. Just say, your word, say the word and, and my servant will be healed. There was so much faith in the centurion that, this, that Jesus marveled, it says. He's like, whoa, that's amazing. I haven't seen this much faith in all of Israel. Man, that's the way you can please God. Write that down. Man, I could, I could have faith in God. It blesses the Lord. It, it blows him away. Gratitude is something that blesses him. In Luke uh, 17, in the verses 11 through 18, 10 uh, lepers go. They come to him. They bow down and worship. He says, go your way. Go to the priests and be healed. They all go. One of them comes back and says, thank you. And he's like, where's the other nine? Did the miracle not work? Did they not get healed? I mean, he knows they got healed. But he's like, well, they got healed. How come the only person that came back to say thank you is a Samaritan? But he was blessed with that Samaritan. So, you know, we, we take note of the things that please our God because we want to give him something that will bless him. A sacrifice of loving other believers, you know, as the worship team comes up. I think it's important. In, in, in uh, 1 John chapter 4, verse 20 through 21, it says that if you say you love God and you know God, but you hate your brethren... You don't know God or love God. And I think that's important because it's kind of popular to kind of knock on the body of Christ or to complain about all the negatives in the body of Christ. And so, I don't know, sometimes I feel like if you, I feel like, let me take away all my qualifiers. God says, if you love me, you'll love my people. And he's not okay with us going around complaining about and bashing the body of Christ. Are they flawed? Sure, we're all flawed. Do they make mistakes? Yes, we all make mistakes. But do you love God's people or do you just go around complaining about them left and right all over social media? Stop it. You know? At least don't do that and then be like, oh, you know, I love Jesus. No, because Jesus loves those people you're complaining about. Maybe pray for them. You know? Pray for them. Maybe try to be an agent of blessing and ministry and not just kind of cut people apart because this is easy i can cut people apart i can find the flaws in people if you have relationships with people it's really easy to just be like and you do this wrong and 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 we can all do that for all of us because we're all messed up or you can try to edify one another and a sacrifice of submission where you can uh, the Bible says, you know, the, the, the children should submit to the parents and the wife to the husband and the husband to the Lord and the younger should submit to the elder and we should all submit to one another. That's all super hard. That will cost us something. That's a sacrifice that you could offer up to the Lord. 
And the other thing that came to mind is in 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 19, where it says if you're suffering in an unjust way, a way that maybe you don't feel you deserve, that's an offering that you can give to the Lord by committing your souls to him and doing good. You're going through suffering. You don't deserve to go through it. Maybe you feel entitled to deal with it in an ungodly and fleshly way. You can say instead, for God's sake, I'm going to deal with this in a Christ-like fashion. I'm going to glorify God in this manner. And you're doing that as unto the Lord. That's an offering that you give to the Lord. So maybe you're here, you know, by way of application, and it's been a long time since you've given God something that's cost you something. I want to encourage you as we're worshiping, surrender that up to the Lord. As we're worshiping, you know, pray, seek the Lord, say, Lord, God, I want to give you this thing that I don't want to surrender, but I think you want me to give it up to you. Um, Lord, please work that in my heart. There's going to be pastors up front for prayer if you want to come up and pray. Um, and, and you need prayer to get through that, man, I, we'd love to pray for you. So, Lord, I thank you so much for your word and for your truth. And I, I thank you for the, the, the heart that you have for us, God. You are worthy of our sacrifice, Lord. You are worthy, God. And, and, and what you give us is so great, so wonderful, Lord, in our walk with you. So, Lord, please, Lord, help us to um, be up front with you, Lord. You're up front with us, Lord. Help us to surrender our all to you and to know the blessing and the, the, the glory, Lord, that comes in a deep, personal, intimate walk and relationship with you. Uh, Lord, in Jesus' name I pray, amen.